Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 19 as we continue our journey with Jesus through the road to Jerusalem. We are coming close to this section This theme, today's message is entitled A Day of Reckoning. We'll be looking at 19, 11 through 27, that which we read for our scripture reading. Have you ever heard the phrase, wait until your father gets home? Wait until your father gets home. Mothers across the world in different languages and tribes and ethnicities have shouted this to their disobedient children for generations, maybe even a millennia or more. It is a threat that worked at first, but diminished in value as we got older. Did it not, though? Many times moms forgot to tell dad or dad didn't really listen or promise to take care of it only to drift into a nap as the television blared the news. As children, we thought we were getting away with our bad behavior when dad got home and did nothing about it. Then there is the other side of the coin where it seems like when we did the right things or what was expected, it was ignored. No one noticed that we were doing right. It was easier to get noticed when we did bad, disobeyed. How many children have looked up for affirmation from their parents only to notice that their parents are not even paying attention? The same could be said of our place of employment. There seems to be no accountability. It doesn't matter if we do well or neglect our duties. We all get the same raises. We all get the same benefits, so on and so forth. Even today, the spirit of the age is to move away from merit. Schools, employment, government, etc. Merit is going out. It's not about what you do or didn't do. However, what you and I need to know as we look at scripture, that there is a day of reckoning that is coming. It will be a time of reward or retribution. Now, this section of Luke's early account of the life of Jesus that we've been studying over the last month or so has been focusing on his journey to Jerusalem. And with his impending death near, Jesus is using the time wisely by preparing his disciples to continue his earthly ministry after his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, and then his final ascension. He has been instructing them about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is like, who can be part of the kingdom of God. What does it take to enter the kingdom of God? And these last few chapters have detailed for you and I that one must be persistent, must be humble and trusting to enter into the kingdom. Repentance and perseverance and humility are character marks of those that are of its citizens. And Jesus warns us not to be like the rich young ruler, but like Zacchaeus who counted the cost of following Jesus and found it more profitable to choose Christ rather than the things of the world. Jesus is awful also emphasized the importance of being ready for the kingdom of the coming of the kingdom. 
And though the kingdom has been inaugurated through the incarnation and the ministry of Christ, it is not going to be finalized until the final day or consummated until Christ returns at the end of the age. And we do that during Christmas and Easter, Easter and even during our Lord's Supper. We think of the first advent, the first coming of Christ, but we recognize that there is a second advent. That is what we are looking for. That is what we're waiting for. That is our hope that Christ will return. Now, as we come to our passage today in Luke 19, 11 through 27, Jesus informs his followers that there will be a day of reckoning for all those that profess to be citizens of the kingdom where the faithful will be rewarded while the lazy, the sluggard will face loss and those that reject Christ will face final destruction. So with that, look at Luke 19. Again, I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. Look at verse 11. We're just going to read that one since we've already read it in full in our scripture reading. I just want to re-familiarize ourselves. What is going on here? So 1911, it is here on the monitor as well. It says, as they heard these things, speaking of the disciples and those that were following Jesus, of the things of which he says, I've come to seek and save those which were lost. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And Father, we know that that day is coming. Father, we are 2,000 years past the writing of the, or your original uh, words to these people. And so, Father, I pray that you give us wisdom and discernment as we open up these pages and try to learn what this passage is telling us. What, what was the point that you were getting across to your disciples and to those that were following you? And, Father, as followers of Christ, followers of you, Father, I pray that you would help us to, to be motivated in living a life that is pleasing to you, loving God, loving neighbors, and help us understand what that is. We're knowing that one day we will stand before you and give an account. And I pray, Lord, that you would just bless us this morning, give us words to, or give us ears to hear and a heart that's receptive to the Spirit's work in your name. Amen. Now, just a few observations. We just look at this passage. The issue is, if you see this, you may even want to underline this in verse 11. The issue is they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So that's in their mind. They're, they're nearing Jerusalem. Jesus has been warning them that something awful is going to happen. Now, they, they truly don't understand it, but they knew that Jesus was coming near. They thought something special was going to happen. What they did not realize is that the coming of the kingdom would be in two parts with a long delay in between. The first advent of Christ was the incarnation and then his 33 years of earthly ministry. The second advent of Christ, what you and I are waiting for, hoping for, is when he comes in power and glory to subdue his enemies at his feet. Jesus tells them a parable to help them understand what is expected of them during this delay. So let me just give you a summarize, you know, to summarize it, a summary. First, we see he gives 10 of his servants one minion. Now, one minion was worth about four months of wages. For you and I in the Orange County, if you look at the average salary for, for four months, that would be around $20,000, $20,680. Now, I don't know if you make that much in four months. That's a, that's a kind of uh, almost a kingly sum to, to many of us. But in there, that's about how much money he was giving them in their context. 
Now, Jesus only uses three out of the ten as illustrations. So we're not getting uh, the story of all ten. It's not that he gave one ten, he gave one five, and he gave one one, and so on and so forth. He gave each of those ten one minion. Now, the first that we're given as an illustration is very industrious, and he's successful in increasing his one to ten, and then because of that, he is rewarded with ten cities to rule over. As we see, there's a nobleman who owns a country, he owns a kingdom, and he has many cities. The very first, or the second does well by increasing his one to five and is rewarded with five cities. This is how well you did. This is what you get. But the third man does not invest, but he hides the minion out of fear. And we see in the end, he doesn't get a city, but he loses. He suffers a loss. His one minion is taken from him and given to the one who had ten. Now, what we notice here in this, in this parable is that the third one, the one who is unfaithful, he tries to deflect his irresponsibility by blaming the nobleman. And how many times have we done that, right? That's as old as Adam and Eve, right? The wife you gave me did it. The snake is the one who did it. In this case, he's saying, I blame you. I'm a fearful of you. I, you, you you're someone who, 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 I, who I'm fearful of, and so I'm, I don't know what to do, and I'm paralyzed. What we see, though, is that the nobleman uses the third own words to condemn his action. Since you knew this, you should have done this. Fear, by the way, is no excuse for inaction, for, for not being faithful, as we shall see. The first two are rewarded, while the third suffers a loss. Those that reject the nobleman's rule, then we see lastly, are slaughtered, are killed, struck down. Now, through this parable, Jesus is using a scenario that it would have been very familiar to his listeners, as well as Luke's original readers. For you and I, we, we have some distance between us and some cultural distance, not only just time and, and just understanding what would this look like. In those days, the kings in the Romans' province, now remember, Rome at this time pretty much rules the known world at that time. And so what would happen is if you were a governor or a king or something like that, a small king uh, under Caesar, you would, go to the, you would go to Rome and present yourself before Caesar, and then he would say, I am giving you this kingdom. And he would give him some type of certificate, some type of thing, maybe with a seal on it, saying, you now have authority over this. And when we're thinking of Jesus' time, we're thinking of Galilee, uh, Judah, para uh, places of that time in which they had to go to Rome. Even Herod, as we know in the scripture, he had to go to Rome to receive his kingdom. MacArthur writes this, this is precisely what happened to a man named Archelaus. And you may want to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Archelaus, and I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm, pr- I'm pronouncing this right, but so just bear, bear with me. If I'm making it wrong, I'll just be consistent in saying it wrong. He's the son of Herod the Great. When he went to Rome to be made a tetrarch of Judea, it's a delegation of Jews traveled to Rome with a protest to Caesar Augustus. He refused to complain. In other words, when Archelaus went to to get his kingdom, they, they sent a delegation, the Jews did, and said, we don't want this man to serve us. 
But Pilate, Caesar, refused their complaint, and he made Archelaus king anyway. I'm not going to be consistent anyway, so here we go. Archelaus subsequently built his palace in Jericho, not far from where Jesus is telling this parable. Remember, he was just coming out of Jericho with Zacchaeus. Archelaus' rule was so inept and despotic that, uh, that Rome quickly replaced him with the succession of others, including Pontius Pilate, who was the fifth, in which we will hear of him in the next few weeks. With this parable, Jesus warned that the Jews were about to do the same thing in a spiritual sense to their true Messiah. In Matthew chapter 2, look at verses 19. We read that Archelaus was the reason, I think that's the third time I pronounce his name differently, was the reason that Joseph, if you're keeping notes, was the reason that Joseph moved to Galilee with Mary and, uh, and Jesus after returning from Egypt. Look at Matthew 2.19, you see this happening. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and saying, rise, take the child and mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life or death are dead. So remember, they were going to kill all the children two years and under. So they flee to Egypt. Now, now Herod is dead. And they say, now you can go back to Israel. And we see, and, and Joseph arose and took the child and his mother. And he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, to the city, as you and I now know, as Nazareth. So in this case, Jesus is using a parable, a scenario in which they would truly understand what is happening. A, a man goes to receive his kingdom, but a delegation says, man, this guy is no good. Please don't put him in, uh, in charge of us. But yet the nobleman receives it anyway. So this parable would have resonated with the people, but they would have been shocked by the twist of the parable that's found in verse 26. Go back to Luke 19 and look at verse 26. Jesus says, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. He speaks this after taking the one mina from the, from the unfaithful steward and giving it to the man with ten. He says, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, even to the modern reader, this seems harsh and unfair. This guy got one minion. Yeah, he may not have made an increase, but why can't he at least rule over? He didn't lose it. To many, this would echo the accusations that the rich get richer while the poor get poorer. We might even proclaim that the nobleman should have offered this or, or affirmed this third man's feeling of fear. Hey, he was fearful of you. You should take that into account. Maybe it's your fault that he didn't make an increase and that he wasn't faithful. That's what the society would say today. Of course, in today's culture of equity and equality, many would decry the system as wrong and evil in the first place. Everyone should get an equal portion, no matter how much they do, and share in the wealth. If he gave 10 million, the East should have just got one city to rule over. That would have been the fair thing to do. However, this parable is not teaching the benefits, the pros and cons of capitalism, socialism, or any other ism that you have but informs us about the kingdom of God that works in a whole different scenario than you and I could imagine. And he's warning them about a day of reckoning when Jesus will come to claim his kingdom. 
So let's take a moment to consider what this parable means going back. As we look at this parable, it's pretty clear to us that Jesus Christ is the nobleman. He's the one who has the kingdom and he's going to receive another one. So he is coming to receive another one. The disciples, the ones are the disciples are the servants. They're the ones who are receiving each a gift and ability. In this case, just a mina. Each follower of Christ is given a mina. They're given spiritual gifts, talents, abilities, skills, etc. The citizens that hated Jesus are those that reject Christ's rule. We might think of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, many of the others who were saying crucify him, crucify him. They are rejecting his rule. They do not want Jesus to rule over him, so they're objecting to that. And then lastly, there will be a day of reckoning when the faithful are rewarded, while those that reject Christ will face an eternity under the wrath of God. So as we come down to it, there it is in a nutshell of what the parable is teaching. Tom Schreiner, you might look at this here on the board, on the monitor. He says, what this parable teaches is that each of us receives a certain amount of responsibility before the Lord. And we are judged by what we do with that responsibility given to us. We learn from these illustrations that true faith manifests itself in good works. We are saved by faith alone, but never by a faith that is alone. Genuine faith manifests itself in the doing of good works. In this case, the good works was investing in that which God gave us and giving those that return back to God. So there's a sense in which God has given us a faith. He has given us good graces, common grace. He's given us all these things so that we might be about his work that we may present it to him. Now, the disciples question was regarding the consummation of the kingdom of God. They figure since Jesus is near Jerusalem, the time is near. They were concerned about the timing of the great event of the Messiah taking his rightful place as the throne of David. They knew that Jesus was the Christ. They believed he was the Messiah. They accepted that he was the anointed one of the Lord who was sent to restore Israel and fulfill the promises of Yahweh found in the Old Testament that was given to the prophets and to their fathers. And even though Jesus had warned them of his upcoming death, they still could not grasp what he was saying. In their mind, he was going to Jerusalem and beginning the process of restoration of all their dreams and aspirations. And though we may not look at it next week, the next chapter that we're going to is his triumphant entry into Israel when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We celebrate it on Palm Sunday. So in their mind, they are close to now being the servants of the Most High, the, 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 the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, who will now rule over Israel. That is in their mind. So that's why they're saying is, when will it be given? Are, are we there? We're, we're, we're almost into Jerusalem. We, we can see the city on the hill. We can see the sun shining off its beautiful gates. Are we ready to go in now and go in as victorious? There's three long years of following Jesus, living outside and eating from the goodness of others, being surrounded by the crowds as they're about to be rewarded by being the servants of the Most High. What they did not realize, though, is that there would be a delay 
between the time he arrives in Jerusalem as a substitute sacrifice and his reception and coronation as the king. At this point in history, it has been almost 1,990 years if you're counting from 33 AD. And this delay is not meant to lull them into sleep or even us into sleep or in action. But as Peter writes in his second letter, looking again on the monitor, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And just keep that up there a moment. So we say that they think it's coming soon, but God says no, there is not going to be a soonness to it. There's going to be a delay. He's not using that word, but he's pointing that out. There, there's going to be a day of reckoning that's coming, but it's not yet. There are still those that I'm waiting to come to repentance. As Jesus said, I have some that are not of my flock that have not yet been brought in. Now that's our goal in our mission, as we're going to see just a little bit is that not all have come repentance? The fact that you're sitting here today means that there are still some of, of, of Jesus' flock, some of God's children that have not yet been brought into the fold. But during this delay, in his second coming, you and I are called to be faithful stewards of our spiritual gifts that we may bring those who are outside into the inside. Those who are part of God's children that are to be adopted, we are to bring them into the family of God. We are called to be faithful stewards during this delay of our spiritual gifts, our talents, our abilities, our money, our energy, our families, so on and so forth. Anything that God has given you, everything that God has given you is so that you may be a faithful steward doing his work. Being on mission. When he returns, listen to this please. When he returns, Jesus should find us ready, prepared, and busy with his work. In Ephesians 2.10, we learn that we are God's workmanship. And he's using the thing of like an artist who is creating a great work of art. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for this, for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works, to do good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Now, I think that phrase, which God prepared beforehand, means before the foundation of the world. There is things that God has assigned you. He has given you a minion, and he says, now do this work. I am expecting this of you. Our mission in Matthew 28, 19, 20, you know this very well. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The point that you and I must understand is that people receive what they deserve when it comes to the kingdom of God. In God's economy, in the kingdom of God economy, people receive what they deserve. We are called as Christians to make disciples of the nations 
That is not a suggestion. It's not a thing. Hey, by the way, if you get to it, hey, if, if you have time, can you do a few things for me? He says, this is why you exist. Yahweh has granted us all things that we need to do this work. Whether we are talking of Orange Villa Bible Church as a church in our community or as you as an individual believer. Paul warns his spiritual son, Timothy, that Christ will judge the living and the dead when he comes. And so there is a day of reckoning where he will take an account. What have you done for me? I have given you all that you need to be successful. Have you invested it? Have you worked at it? Or have you hit it? Have you been in fear? Have you been in doubt? We come up with many excuses why we cannot serve God in discipling the nations. I'm too busy. I have children. It's a season of life. I can't make the time to come to church. I can't do this. I can't do that. We're very much like the sluggard. Well, there's a lion outside. Or my hand's too tired to bring the the meat to my mouth from the bowl. But God says we need to be about the business of the Father. This this passage, not the peaches, but the passage teaches us the importance of stewardship. Now, I want you to get this. I want you to write this down. You should be able to memorize this. Stewardship is simply the belief that everything a person owns belongs to God. Once again, stewardship is the belief that everything a person owns belongs to God. There is nothing that you have that was not given to you by the good, gracious, and mercy, and loving kindness of the Father. It is not yours to use as you see fit. It is given by an almighty God who says, I am giving this to you, whether it's your intellect, your your ability, your wit, your humor, uh, your skills, your abilities, whatever it may be. God says, I am giving you something that you may use it for me. We're including in our finances. We're including in our homes. We're including our cars, all that we have. There is nothing John Calvin says that God does not look around the universe and says, mine. It all belongs. Now that's whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. Even the non-Christian, all that he has belongs to him or belongs, it comes to him from God. Now that word stewardship comes from a Greek word that means a household manager. It was not uncommon for those with wealth to employ someone to manage the needs and activities of a home, similar to what many do today. If you're a fan of shows like Downton Abbey, you might have even seen how this might have looked like. Sorry, it's an inside joke. I always say Downtown Abbey, but it's Downton Abbey. Any fans? Shows okay? Yeah, there's a few of you. And you might see how someone might manage this. Was it Carter? Carson? Carlson? He managed... Yeah he, yeah, he managed the household. He managed all that was in there. And he was the one who would give an accounting to those who owned it. In the same way, a steward is responsible for the management of resources and entrusted with the care of all that belongs to the owner. Now, you and I understand this because most of us here have worked or we're working or we may be retired, but yet we work, we understand that. We are working and doing so. Even if we own the business, we still understand that there is an owner. Even if it's us. And it all belongs. And we are to do that work. 
You might recall Joseph, the son of Jacob, one of the twelve, the one who was sold into slavery by his brothers. In Egypt, we see that Joseph proved to be an excellent steward of both Potiphar's household and then in prison when he was, and then, and then the prison he was sent to after being falsely accused. In both places, he was a good steward. We see that God's made his hand prosper. And after acquiring his freedom, he became to the second highest official behind only Pharaoh, and he stewarded Egypt during a great famine. He was a steward, a household manager. He understood that nothing belonged to him. Even Joseph said, listen, nothing has your, has, has your husband withheld from me but you. I need must be faithful not only to God but also to the one in which I serve. The steward would be expected to be honest and trustworthy, faithful, full of integrity. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, you see it here on the monitor, this is how one should regard us, speaking of disciples of Christ. We are servants of Christ. You need to get that first. You're not the boss. As a disciple of Christ, we are servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. What's the mysteries of God? The gospel. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found what? Found faithful. And so what God has called us to do is to be faithful. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples through this parable. You must be found faithful. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, if you would, in your Bibles. As disciples of Christ, the children of God and citizens of the kingdom, we are also to be faithful stewards of all that God has entrusted us. As you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8, we're going to see a portion of scripture in which mainly is speaking about those who are building into the church, but it also has some applications as we as individual believers as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Are you with me in verse 8, everyone there? Here we go. Paul writes, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. And let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you and I as stewards, we already have a foundation that's laid. That's Christ. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, so good stuff, bad stuff, each one's work will be what? Become manifest, be made known. For the day, that day of reckoning, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So you can imagine. You take the precious gold, the silver, and the stones, and you put them through a fire. You get it? It melts. It purifies it. But you put wood, hay, and stubble, straw into there, it's going to go into smoke. It's going to be ashes coming out the other end. Look what he goes on to say. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. He who had one minion or had one minion made ten, he got a reward. The one who had five got a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. The one who in fear or in some other reason does not invest 
the one who was not faithful, he will suffer loss, though not, or though he himself will be what? Saved. So this is not talking about losing your salvation. So just like this servant of the owner, he suffered loss, he was not destroyed. That's going to happen to those that reject Christ. So the unfaithful servant, he just suffers loss. But he goes on, but though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So as we see this, as you and I are building on what God has given us, we're building in this church, we're building on our lives. So what are the gold, the precious stones, and the silver? It's building our lives on the things of God, the commands of God, loving God, loving your neighbor. We can summarize it in those two ways, right? It's all the commands of God. Are we following the commands of Christ? Are we teaching and making disciples of the nations? Are we reading scripture? Are are we praying? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we uh, serving and loving others? Are we kind? Those are the things that will survive the fire, the day of reckoning. I'm not taking talking hellfire. He's using here just an imagery of of a forge, of, of something being purified. But what's the wood, hay, and stubble that a Christian, because this is talking about a Christian, a Christian will have wood stay. These are things in which what we're producing with our lives is not the fruits of the spirit, but the works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, bitterness, anger, malice, unkindness. Those things which do not please God. All of our words and actions, but also our thoughts. One day will we stand before God and he will give an account of how we've used our time, our energy, our ability, our finances, our dreams, our aspirations, the things that we pursue. Have we invested in the advancement of the kingdom or have we invested in the, in the advancement of the kingdom of me in pursuing my wants instead of pursuing the holiness of God in our lives? This is what this parable is teaching, is that you and I need to be aware that one day we will stand before God and there will be a day of reckoning. God has blessed us with many talents, skills, and abilities. Just looking on this room, I'm probably not even aware of all the skills and talents and abilities that you have. Not all of us have the same ability and talents and skills. Many of us have different ones, and that's the wonder and diversity of God who who gives to each of us different things. Unfortunately, too many have used these gifts from God to promote and build themselves up instead of using them to love God and our neighbors. We forget that there is nothing that we have that is not from the hand, good hand of God. We believe it's ours, and so we can use it for ourselves. We live our lives as if we never have to give account to God or how we have used his great gifts. That's very evident as I just look in this room. There are many of them who are members of our church or those who, who, who profess Christ who believe that one day they will not stand before God and give an account. Maybe even some of you here this morning. I know that I struggle with that myself. That there are times in my mind I forget that. When I'm led into sin and I am enticed by sin and I give in to sin, I have forgotten that. There is no fear of God. We must be aware that there is a day of a reckoning when Christ will demand an accounting of all that he has assigned to us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.8 that he who plants and he who waters are one. 
and each will receive his wage according to his labor. You and I are to labor for the things of God. Now, I understand. Each and every one of you are laboring maybe 35, 40, 45, maybe 60 hours a week at your own job. Not including taking care of your husband, your wife, your family, and all the other things that might go on. But even during those times, see, many times we think, well, here's my secular labor and here's my sacred labor. But that's not how it is. God hasn't compartmentalized ourselves in that way. Just like people say, well, here's your political life and your, and your social life. That should be different than how you worship. You know, s- separation of church and state, right? You know, that's all hogwash. That's what that is. It's, it's hogwash. It, it has nothing to do. All of these things are God. We can serve God even in the midst of digging ditches, mowing lawns, plastering walls, working at a pregnancy center or driving trucks. Even in our retirement and in the, in the, as, our, as we age, God still has given us things to do. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 25. In this chapter, we find the parable of the talents. And though this parable has a different focus, there are some similarities with the one today. It reads very close to Luke's account, but this is a different time, a little bit different audience and a little different purpose. We're not going to look at it all but I do want us to focus on the end result. Jesus warns his listeners here that when the kingdom of God does arrive, he will reward those that are faithful while retribution awaits those who neglect their duty or his rule. You know what? Do I have this on the screen, man? Uh, You know what? I told you to turn there, but I also put it on the screen. Jesus says to those who have been faithful, to the one with the 10 and the five who have increased, who have invested, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much and in the joy of your master. This right here, just hold it here. This is the joy. This are the words that you and I are working towards. This should motivate you and encourage you to continue on. This is our hope. Well done, thou good and faithful servants. However, to those who were not, the next passage, Matthew 25, look at verse 30. It's also on the screen. Jesus says, but cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people for one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. They may intermingle. They may be even members of the church, but there will be a time where they will be separated and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. But to the rest, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. There's a day of reckoning. For those who profess Christ, those who are Christians, but also for those who are not. But now that you and I have been warned, you now have knowledge of this. 
You and I need to commit to fulfilling the mission and being faithful stewards. You have no excuse. There's no fear of God that should keep you. The fear of God should motivate you to do the work of God. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle encourages the Christians in Rome, saying you have different gifts that different according to the grace excuse me, that God has given us. Let us use them. If you have the gift of prophecy in proportion to your faith, then prophesy. If service, then do it in your serving. Is the one who teaches in your teaching. The one who exhorts encourager in your exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, whatever your gifts, talents, and abilities may be, is you are to use them for the glory of God. You're not to sit and complain that you do not have the same gifts and skills and abilities as someone else, but to use whatever God has given for his glory and for our good. Not everyone has, is given the same ability, talent, skills, or spiritual gift. Some are more talented and smarter, while others are, are given more modest gifts. Instead of desiring greater gifts or complaining about what we do not have, we are called to serve God as he is called, as assigned each one of us. In one of my favorite verses, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, you can write it down or if you can turn to it very quickly. The Holy Spirit writes this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We are to put off those things and put on, as Paul says, to live self-controlled lives, an upright godly life, excuse me, in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. During this delay, this almost 2,000 years delay, he shares with us what we are to do to get ready for that day of accountability. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous for good works. You and I have a minus, a minus, whatever it might be. And we need to use it, invest in it, ready, waiting for that day when Christ returns, ready to advance the kingdom of God as he has called us to do. During this long delay, we're going to face much opposition and ridicule and even persecution. Even here in the United States, it's becoming clearer and clearer that those who are going to stand for Christ will face these things. The road of salvation is difficult. The entrance, the entrance to the kingdom of God demands that we surrender. And the journey is filled with suffering. Yet as stewards of the mystery of God's grace, we are challenged, as you see here in the monitor by Paul, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Take comfort in this. The Father knows that you're tired. The Father knows that you're struggling, that you're suffering. The Father knows your disappointments and your frustrations. The Father knows your doubts and your fears. The Father 
also knows that he has given you everything that you need to pursue a life of godliness and holiness. One day we will stand before him. So as we get ready to close, I just have four questions. What is your spiritual gift? Are you using it? If you do not know it, see Randy and I, Landon, we'd love to try to help you identify that spiritual gift. To be honest, your spiritual gift is that which God has given you that you're probably already using and you just don't know the name of it. A spiritual gift is a gift that God has given you. It's a talent and ability that God has given you to build up not yourself, your own agenda, you're not your own podcast or kingdom, but to build up the church. Hence why when I pray that when you and I come, it's not just to worship God, which is the main thing, but we're to serve one another. So if you're coming in late and leaving early and not interacting with our people, then you are not building up the church of God. Now, being here really is helpful. I encourage you. But if you have a spiritual gift and you walk out the door and you're not using it, then you are misusing it. One one day, God will give a, a judgment, a day of reckoning. How did you use that spiritual gift? It is not for you, but it's for the body of Christ. What are your talents and abilities that you have? We're struggling with the nursery. We're struggling with getting people to come in. We're struggling with just visitation. Maybe you have abilities in woodworking and plumbing. Maybe just in just basic things. Are you using those for the glory of God and for the good of others? And this may not be here on Sunday. It could be in helping those who who need help. How can you acquire and hone your skills in biblical living? That's really what wisdom is. It's the skill of godly living. Are you a wise person? Are you following the commands of Christ? Or are you struggling in your life? And then lastly, are you ready for the day of reckoning? Are you going to have ten, five, or have you been hiding just the one? Or maybe you come today and you're empty-handed and you say, I, I was never given one. That's eternal destruction. Let us recognize there's a day of reward, a day of retribution. And may we as Christians never suffer loss for what Christ has given us. Let me close with this little meme here, Micah 6.8. Hopefully you can read it. I can't read it from here, but maybe you can. Write it down. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is what God has called us to do. That when he returns, we may receive him with joy and praise and worship as he receives us to his own, ready to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the kingdom. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.